198. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, uh, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right. So uh, we are in the last book of the Pauline Corpus, the last book of the uh, pastoral epistles. We are making our way towards the end of the New Testament. And um, yeah, my man Paul has written his final letter, letter to his disciple, his son in the faith, my man Timothy. And while he does hit on some of the te- uh, themes that he hit on in First Timothy, Paul's situation is a lot different now. He is in prison in Rome, probably for the last time, and he is awaiting a trial that is not going well that could possibly end in his death. And so these are his parting words to this young minister. And because of this, he wants to make sure this young man, Timothy, completes the mission that was given to him in light of his absence to make the gospel known. And so he jumps right in. He starts off uh, the way an average uh, Greco-Roman letter would start off in that time. And he thanks God for the faith that is present in Timothy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And now I am convinced is in you also. Paul draws attention to uh, two godly women who raised young Timothy in the faith. And it's interesting uh, how he is reminding uh, us, right, as he does this, of the importance of living a life that is honoring before the Lord and the impact it could have upon generations. And think about the beautiful uh, opportunity uh, I think we have, right, for those that come behind us, right? Something that the Old Testament is really clear about, about passing this baton of faith down over through generation after generation after generation so God can extend his covenantal love for thousands of generations upon our kids, kids kids, kids, right? And and Paul is calling this out and affirming this in Timothy. And he goes further. He says, yo, I want you to do something. I want you to walk in your gifts. I want you to walk into your gifts that were given to you by God. Man, that's the mark. One of the marks of a great leader, I think personally, is just um being able to not be intimidated by someone else's gifts that is coming behind you, but being able to call them out and affirm them, right? And, and, and encouraging them to walk in them. He says, Timothy, you are young and, and there are false teachers around you that may be tempted towards, uh, that may tempt you towards timid, timidity, right? Because of the pressure uh, that these false teachers may induce. But he's like, walk in your gifts. There's no reason to be scared. God has given you his spirit and his spirit. Listen, his spirit, the spirit that God gives us is not one of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. In other words, God wants all of us to know, not just Timothy, um, that we shouldn't put a curtain over our light just because the rays may bother someone else's eyes, right? Like God wants us to use our gifts so that he can get more glory. He says, Timothy, I also don't want you to be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of me as a prisoner of the gospel. He's like, instead, be willing to suffer for the bold proclamation of the gospel that should be present in your life. And I love it. He says, I'm not ashamed of it, right? And this is why I suffer. Um, it's funny because uh, the Bible calls us uh, to to be bold about the, the actual biblical gospel and to not shrink back and to not be ashamed, even when it's unpopular to be all about the gospel. But it always comes or not always. It often comes with a price tag. Right. Like and Paul is clear that it came with suffering for him. And he and he says, though, he says this gospel, though, even in the midst of this suffering, it shows God's power right in the midst of suffering that's the thing about the gospel uh we we see when we're about the gospel and god's spirit is working in us it shows god's power through our suffering not apart from it right he's like yeah through his death through jesus death he has brought life and immortality to light through 
the gospel. So he says this, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And he moves down in 14, guard the good deposit, as he said in first Timothy, through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. I think um, what's interesting, man, is, is again, that similar to Hebrews, um, we are all called to defend the faith, right? But similar to Hebrews, this text shows us uh, we are also called to protect it and hold on to it tightly, right? Um, not and it's not like our life depends on it. We don't hold on it, hold on to it like our life depends on it. We hold on to it like our eternity depends on it because it actually does. He says, hold on to the sound teaching, guard the gospel, keep it in your possession, keep it from being damaged. Chapter two is more the same exhortation after exhortation. He says, be strong in grace. In other words, God's grace to us is a source, source of strength for us, right? God's grace to us is a source of strength for us. And he gives three metaphors in the first part of this chapter. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier, look at the metaphors, gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the Christ. Uh, or of the crops, excuse me. Uh, in the metaphors of a soldier, of an athlete, and of a farmer, uh, he is saying, "Fam, there's a sense of a wholehearted devotion. All right, we ought we ought to have to Jesus as believers beyond anything and anyone else. Period. There's a single mindedness. There's a, there's a strictness in which, uh, while it is grace from beginning to end, the Christian life, of course, right? God has called us to walk into this thing uh, and, and ensure that we will receive the crown of life promised to those who believe. And this walk." of staying faithful, of holding on to the gospel, being strong in grace, right? All of these things of walking in our gifts, it takes diligence, endurance, and perseverance, right? It takes work, right? It takes hard work. And I, um, it's funny, um, you know, Paul says this, and it just reminds me of what, uh, I can't remember who said it, but someone said, man, don't come to Jesus if you want an easy life, right? Don't come to Jesus if you want an easy life. And at the same time, don't come to him if you want an empty one, right? Like God, in the midst of the difficulty of it is, of, of walking with him, <clears throat> he gives us fulfillment, right? He gives us everything we need, namely himself. Um, and in the midst of it all, the key to it, he's saying, uh, he says, remember the gospel, right? The reward, uh, the reward uh, in scripture uh, always puts the requirements in their proper perspective. He, uh, at the end of this, he goes into a hymn, in chapter uh, two, he goes into a hymn to communicate even more so. He speaks of the way that 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 uh, one way to view the Christian life is participation, right? We we literally participate, and I've said this over and over. We literally participate in the story and life of Christ. In a sense, to follow Jesus is to live <clears throat> His life after Him, right? Endurance to reigning, suffering to glory. We grow through. We go through what He went through to finally get what He got, right? And he goes further. He says, "Be diligent to present yourself to God." As one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. The word here for uh, diligent is one that is make, is like make every effort, right? This is something, again, that Timothy ought to give himself over to over and over a, a, a passionate desire to rightly teach and explain and proclaim the word of God and use it rightly to combat people who are using it wrongly, namely these false teachers. In 2 Timothy 3. He says in the last days, right? Uh, We've already said that uh, in the New Testament, they believed they were in the last days. He says people will be lovers of self and lovers of money. Paul gives this list of things that will be true of people amongst and around the body of Christ and in the world uh, around them. 
And he gives this list and the first two uh, kind of govern the rest. People will be lovers of self and lovers of money. He says, without love for what is good. And then he says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Um, it's funny because I, it, it, he just continues to use the word love, right? It's all about what they will love, right? Instead of God and people, people will love other things. Those that are tempted to turn away from God, those who don't want anything to do with God, are those who have uh, what St. Augustine would call disordered loves we've talked about saint augustine a ton in his podcast he's obviously one of my favorite theologians or early african church father from the fifth century go read about him he really uh changed western theology so uh, uh one professor i had used to say that um all of theology is a footnote to saint augustine right um and so um saint augustine said that the essence of sin uh he's he's famous for a lot of things but one of the things he said was the essence of sin is essentially disordered loves it is us loving less important things more and more important things less, right? And I love what um, James K. Smith, who's who's a uh, another guy I mentioned on this podcast a lot. He's an Augustinian philosopher, writes really good stuff, really like sharp philosopher that uh, writes Christian philosophy for the church. Um, and, and he's a scholar. And um, he has this book, You Are What You Love, which is one of my favorite books all time. You should read it uh, like right now, uh, today. Uh, <laughs> and what he points out though, uh, in his book, when he, he, he just talks about Augustine everywhere. And uh, he essentially points out that we are, like Augustine, uh, we are not defined and marked um, by what we think necessarily. We aren't brains on a stick, but we are primarily lovers. We are we are defined by the very things that we love. And uh, Smith's, uh, in the book, one of Smith's main applications is that we cultivate our loves, listen, by our habits, right? The things we do, do something to us. And at the same time, our loves are revealed, right? our habits, the very things that we do, the things you continue to do are in a sense bubbled over from the things that you love, right? We know that we post and say things on social media because we love the affirmation, attention, and likes we get. We, we, we do things God called us not to do because we love pleasure, as Paul says, more than God. But, but, but what Paul is saying is that shouldn't be that way, obviously, right? Like this is antithetical for what God has for you. You are made to love God, to receive God's love, and to radiate that love out to other people. So for us then, discipleship is basically a reordering of the loves, a reordering of the loves on God and towards our neighbor. And Paul is saying, this is characteristic of this age, that people don't love what is good, namely God himself. And they love themselves and love the things of this world. May it not be so among us, brothers and sisters. Paul was calling Timothy to something higher, and he's calling us to something higher as well. He finishes off, preach the word, Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 4, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Right. Correct. Rebuke and encourage with great patience and teaching with great patience and teaching with great patience and teaching for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Listen, the foolish don't want to hear anything except what they want to hear. He says, Timothy, I want you to correct folks, rebuke folks and encourage folks with all patience. He says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness. Notice now he's talking like it's about to be a rap for him. There's reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on that day. And not only me, but to all of those who have loved his appearing. All right. He ends it off and he basically says, listen, the reason that we will one day wear a crown is because Jesus 
the Christ, the Messiah, first wore a crown of thorns, right? And God proved that those who follow the way of the cross, those who endure with him and walk with him through this brutal life are those he will vindicate in the age to come. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would give us the grace, that you would give us the strength, that you would give us and help us to receive your love so that we can know that you vindicate those who go the way of the cross. I pray, Lord, that we would take these words to heart and that we will actually believe them, that we will actually live by them and that we will actually walk according to them. Reorder our lives on you and